The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to worship here at the First Unitarian Universal Society of San Francisco. I'm Vanessa Southern, Senior Minister. It's lovely to have you here with us. I want to thank Mari Magaloni, who is here with me to help lead worship this morning, and everybody who is here making it possible. Let me call out, shout out to all of them. To our musicians, to Reiko Odelaine, to Mark Sumner, our director of music, to our singers, Leandra Ram, Brielle, Marina Nielsen, Ben Rudiak Gould, Asher Davidson, to Miwa Steger, our accompanist. Most of the singers and Mark are in our newly created sound studios required by the city in order to be able to bring you sung pieces in our liturgy. And so we want to say that this is yet another experiment in worship and in music this morning. And so bear with us as we find our way through it together. I do want to thank also Joe Chapeau for monitoring our chat. So if you are new and you have any questions, anything comes up that you don't understand, just put it in the chat and he can help you. To Eric Shackelford and Julie Ong, who are also here working our cameras, but helping us to do this experiment together that we are reinventing even today. To Thomas Brown, who brought us heat this morning. To Amy Kelly, who brought us flowers. To Alex Dar, who's going to be hosting the virtual coffee hour after service. To everybody to all of you. If it is your first time, I'd encourage you to download our order of service so you can follow along. Today's service is about the body. I think it is telling that there are no hymns explicitly about the body in either of our hymnals. We are inheritors of the Cartesian tradition, mind, body, inheritors of a long tradition of Christianity, which we are kind of in the midst of as part of Unitarian Universalism with its suspicions about the body, though there are beautiful passages, beautiful passages, odes to the body in the Hebrew scriptures, among other places. Even the robe I wear given at graduation from seminary, which I would show you, except our mics are acting up, is formless, <laughs> all to hide the body. But this stole that was made for me by a fabric artist based in earth-based traditions in her own spiritual practices, filled with imagery of the seasons, curved, curved for a woman minister, the one for whom she made it. We are in the midst always of that dialogue of reclaiming the body as part of our spiritual journeys. So, welcome to that this morning. I want to light our candle, the one we have lit every week since we have been apart physically, missing so much of what that means. A reminder, though, that we are together in spirit here in this space. And so we light it. until such time as we can be together in body and spirit. 
again. Light this chalice for the light of truth, for the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in. I breathe out, I'll breathe 
Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another. Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong today in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first, as we have since July of 2019, in honor of the seven children who lost their lives in federal custody in our detention camps. And we let its ringing symbolically stand for all those adults who have lost their lives in these camps, those who remain in such camps and the hundreds of children still separated from their families. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. This week, 70,783 people died of COVID globally. 10,304 succumbed to the virus and surrounding response in the United States alone. We hold in our hearts all of these losses and all who continue to risk their lives to provide essential services, those who suffer from job loss, whose lives are especially vulnerable to the disease and all whose isolation and struggle through grief and loneliness is harder the longer this pandemic continues. We ring our gong one final time this morning in honor of Transgender Day of Remembrance and Resilience. 
2020 has been the deadliest year on record for the trans community. Worldwide, over 386 trans and gender non-conforming people lost their lives to transphobia, hate, and violence this year. In the United States, at least 37 transgender or gender non-conforming people were murdered this year, most of them Black and Latina transgender women. We know that these numbers are undeniably incomplete and that many more trans people have died this past year due to suicide, COVID-19, and the impact of intersecting oppressions. Each of these deaths is itself immeasurable. The epidemic loss of life unconscionable. As we mourn these lives cut short, we also though celebrate the beauty, brilliance, and incredible worth of these trans people, of trans people everywhere, and honor their powerful resistance and resilience the resilience of trans communities. As we grieve today, may we commit to cherish and protect trans, non-binary and gender expansive people in our communities and beyond. As we hold in our hearts all that we have named in this ritual, May we commit to stem the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can.
And now I invite us into a time of meditation and silence. People made in the image of God, as holy texts tell us, spirit breathed into dirt, it says elsewhere. Or life's simple longing for itself as the poet Khalil Gibran wrote. We gather as part of the same life that presses through the broken places in concrete jungles. offers harvests, waits through all winters into every spring. We are part of that same life a force drawn to the light against all odds. And urging a destiny written into seed, etched into twisting DNA, this desire to turn to the sun to claim each new day. Help us, force that runs through us to hold one another through the rougher chapters. When life feels threatened, or we feel vulnerable, and those we love are at risk, our planet, our democracy. Help us reconnect our roots deep to that anchor place we know, the place that as poet 
Sonia Renee Taylor says, remembers that we are made by the same force that made stars and tulips. Part air, part water, part earth. Our very bodies, a standing invitation back into relationship. With the sacred truth of our connection to all. Let the truth of that quiet all loneliness. Let it quell all lies of separateness, strengthen any myths of powerlessness against all in us that would resist our power to thrive. And may this sustain us, our connection to the vast family of earth breathed to life. Life ever longing for itself thriving in interdependence, turn toward the light, drawn to redeem the new day. For life. for these and all the prayers in our hearts this morning. We pray. Amen.
My name is Mari Magaloni. I'm a member of this congregation, and I'm first-generation Mexican-American. The Sunday before the election, I eagerly tuned in to watch the service. I needed it. I needed you. That Sunday, I needed to be held by my community to be replenished. After four years of being scapegoated by the president, hate crimes against Latinos are at the highest point since the FBI started keeping track. The El Paso massacre, in which 22 victims died at the hands of a man espousing to hate Mexicans, only happened last year. And that Sunday, although I had safely voted early in San Francisco, the threat of violence erupting on election day loomed. The call by the president for the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by further unnerved me. And I was feeling especially fearful for my family in Texas. The Sunday before the election, I was depleted from worry and from the terrible internal back and forth that was going on in my spirit. I've been trapped in an exhausting hope, don't hope cycle. It's an awful dance, but I'm really good at it. I learned the steps to it way back in elementary school when I was picked up and thrown out of the classroom by my math teacher. She was in a rage because I didn't speak English. She refused to teach me the rest of the year. No one came to my aid. That teacher would invite the class to weekend slumber parties at her home, but you had to be white to get an invitation. On Mondays, the kids would talk excitedly about the fun they'd had at the party. All year, I secretly hoped I'd be included. I never was. And I tell myself, doesn't matter. There's a certain rhythm to the events in my life that keep the dance that I learned that year from fading into memory. It goes like this. Hope, two, three, four. Don't hope, two, three, four. When Trump was elected in 2016, I felt like I'd been picked up and thrown out of the country. Crowds of his supporters would chant, build that wall. They wanted to keep people like me out. I was definitely not invited to the party. And then the border detention camp started. And then our children were stolen from their parents and put in cages. And George Floyd and the pandemic. It's been a long four years. So the Sunday before the election, I was on pins and needles. In the sermon, Reverend Vanessa exhorted us to reach out to people across the aisle with curiosity and compassion to try to understand where they're coming from. We need to listen to those who've been economically abandoned, ignored, left behind, she said. If we can listen 
and not try to shove policy down their throats, if they can feel heard and not schooled, scolded, or censured, then maybe we can get off the dizzying power over seesaw we've been stuck on. If we reach out, maybe we will find our shared humanity and we can make a space for growth and positive change and transformation. That sounded beautiful. But I was confused because that didn't sound like a party I was invited to. Because this was the Sunday before the election and voter suppression was off the charts. Black and brown people were being threatened as they prepared to stand in line for hours to vote. They were forced to. And there was no regard for their age or ability or state of health. On this, the Sunday before the election, where was the curiosity and compassion for them? You see, it's really hard to reach out when you're using your hands to protect yourself. I am deeply concerned about the co-opting of victimhood and its language by the right wing. The economic devastation and cultural upheaval that rural, middle, and working class white people are experiencing may be real, but so too has it been real for black, indigenous, and Latino people, and for much longer. So how is it that Regardless, people of color have, in the majority, consistently chosen the kinder, more positive paths of inclusion, justice, environmental stewardship, and democracy, and not turned to xenophobia, cruelty, aggression, supremacy, autocracy. Why is it that we, the enslaved, the abused, the ne neglected and rejected members of American society, have to work so hard to pull this country back from the brink? Why, have, why is it that we keep being asked to? How much is enough? It was the Sunday before the election and I came to my sacred space and my peril, my fear, my trauma, they were brushed aside to make space for a white-centered version of peace. Hope, two, three, four. Don't hope, two, three, four. Hope, two, three, four. Thank you, Mari. When we say the search for truth and meaning is something that happens in community, this is part of what it looks like to me. 
So thanks for saying what I didn't see clearly enough to say and what I think so many of us needed to hear named. Now our offering, which is for the continued works and ministries of Trans Lifeline, a vital lifeline, will be both given and gratefully received. Please give as generously as you can. Mark it as special offering if you give online this morning. And thank you.
reading this morning is not from Bill Bryson's The Body, it seemed much more appropriate to have it be from Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman, whose line I stole as the sermon and service title. Leaves of Grass is a collection that was published on July 4th, 1855. The poem that's called I Sing the Body Electric, though it had no title when it was originally published, it's a poem that lauds the body in all its flesh and fleshy gorgeousness. And as more than just that, too. The poem is famous for many things, including two of the stanzas at the end when Whitman makes a poetic argument against human bondage in and through his ode to bodies. We read only the opening stanza this morning. I sing the body electric, the armies of those I love engirth me and I engirth them. They will not let me off till I go with them, respond to them, and discorrupt them and charge them full with the charge of the soul. Was it doubted that those who corrupt their own bodies conceal themselves? And if those who defile the living are as bad as those who defile the dead? And if the body does not do fully as much as the soul, and if the body were not the soul, what is the soul? Here ends our reading. your friend 
God, let the puzzle undone. Ain't that the way it is? You are beautiful, no matter what they say. Words can't bring you down. You are beautiful in every single way. Yes, words can't bring you Don't you bring me down today No matter what we do No matter what we do No song inside the tune a beautiful stage And everywhere we go And everywhere we go The sun will always shine The sun will always my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, a committed Southern Baptist Christian who taught me your body is a temple. A line I would later learn was from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, if you're following along at home, verses 19 through 20, when Paul asks to you, not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Paul tells those who will hear that the body is not just for their own use, but one more way to glorify what is holy in the world. They were the words that perhaps for me laid the groundwork first for instilling a reverence and a gratitude toward my own little growing bodily self. Of course, I was lucky. I grew up in a household that honored bodies. We treated one another's bodies with care. We valued sleep. We focused on eating well. And we were lucky enough to have the money that safety and predictable sleep and food were things we could control. I went to the dentist even before I had grown-up teeth to protect because my dad hadn't had that luxury and paid almost his whole life with abscesses and pain. And I also got the message that it was one of my jobs in life to take care of this body, that it was my partner 
not my servant. Maybe the message went too far. I wouldn't even pierce my ears before the age of 40 because putting holes in this temple seemed an abomination, a sacrilege. Gilding the lily, my dad would have said. But then, over time, the lily got bruised and scarred with age, as these bodies do, and the gilding didn't seem such a bad thing for the temple. Our bodies are an incredible miracle. Almost from the beginning, what they do and know how to do is astounding. I mean, the once upon a time for each of us, each of our stories on this planet begins with this mess of cells anchored to our biological mother's uterine lining when only four weeks after conception, something starts to pulse. This small prototypical heart that begins will continue beating through frights and exertions of all kinds up against the challenges of too much fried chicken and everything else we will throw at it over a lifetime. And it will never take a vacation until the day it finally waves the white flag and stops closing up shop on the story of our life that began with that first urgent beat. We know some of the body's miracles, but actually much of its workings are still a mystery to science. And much of what we do know, I imagine you and I will never hear about, not unless we study medicine or, or read a book like Bill Bryson's The Body, which I read this fall with some of you. Bryson's book on the body, apparently like all his books, this is the only one I've read, is it's filled with obscure facts and stories. Early in the book, he frames the whole journey this way. We pass our existence within this warm wobble of flesh and yet take it almost entirely for granted. How many of us know even roughly where the spleen is or what it does or the difference between tendons and ligaments or what the lymph nodes are up to? How many times a day do you suppose you blink? 500? thousand? You've no idea, of course. Well, you blink 14,000 times a day, so much that your eyes are shut for 23 minutes of every waking day. You never have to think about it because every second of every day, your body undertakes literally unquantifiable unquantifiable numbers of tasks, a quadrillion, a nonillion, a quintillion, a vigintillion, these are actual measures. At all events, some numbers vastly beyond imagining without requiring an instant of your attention. In the second or so since you started this sentence, your body has made a million red blood cells. 
They are already speeding around you, coursing through your veins, keeping you alive. Each of those red blood cells will rattle around you about 150,000 times, repeatedly delivering oxygen to your cells, and then, battered and useless, will present itself to other cells to be quietly killed off for the greater good of you. Altogether, it takes seven billion billion atoms to make you. No one can say why those seven billion 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 have such an urgent desire to be you. They are mindless particles, after all, without a single thought or notion between them. Yet somehow, for the length of your existence, they will build and maintain all the countless systems and structures necessary to keep you humming, to make you you, to give you form and shape, and let you enjoy the rare and supremely agreeable condition known as life. In breathing, as in everything, Bryson writes, the numbers are staggering. Indeed, fantastical. Every time you breathe, you exhale some 25 sextillion, that's 2.5 times 10 to the 22nd, molecules of oxygen so that with a day's breathing, you will, in all likelihood, inhale at least one molecule from the breath of every person who has ever lived. And every person who lives from now until the sun burns out will, from time to time, breathe a bit of you. At the atomic level, we are, in a sense, eternal. Cartilage is remarkable, too, he tells us. It is many times smoother than glass, he writes. It has a friction coefficient five times less than ice. Imagine playing ice hockey on a surface so smooth that the skaters went 16 times as fast. That's cartilage. But unlike ice, it isn't brittle. It doesn't crack under pressure as ice would. And you grow it yourself. It's a living thing. None of this has been equaled in engineering or science. Most of the best technology that exists on Earth is right here inside us. And everybody takes it almost completely for granted. And so, let's also give a little shout out for all our friends, because Bill Bryson talks about them too, I mean, if, if the Bible isn't a book, but a library of human wisdom, then I think it's fair to say we are not a person, my friends, but more like a community, a colony of diverse creatures figuring out how to survive together. I don't know how many of you remember many years ago when the first electron microscope pictures were coming out, or, or at least I remember one of them, it showed pictures of these little worms that live at the base of our eyelashes. Well, that was only the tip of the iceberg. We are home to vast numbers of tiny living things, Bryson writes, and they do you a surprising amount of good. 
they provide you with about 10% of your calories by breaking down foods that you couldn't otherwise make use of. And in the process, provide beneficial nutrients like vitamins B2 and B12 and folic acid. Humans produce 20 digestive enzymes, which is apparently pretty respectable in the animal world, but bacteria produce 10,000 or 500 times as many, according to Christopher Gardner at Stanford University, who says our lives would be vastly less well-nourished without them. As you sit here now, Bryson quantifies it for us, you are likely to have something like 40,000 species of microbes calling you home, 900 in your nostrils, 800 more on your inside cheek, 1,300 next door on your gums, and as many as 36,000 in your gastrointestinal tract. This, of course, is just the number of species. In terms of individual microbes, it is in the trillions. Now that is hospitality. Many of us have awakened these last few months to one additional miracle of the body, the one the pandemic has brought to the fore, the immune system. How effectively it protects us so much of the time. Those miraculous memory T-cells that stick around long after the invaders have been found and repelled that the vaccines rely on for lasting immunity. How they watch like sentries each of them, S-E-N-T-R-I-E-S, sentries, for a different pathogen to return as their whole life's purpose and the generations to follow them. All of this so we have life, we, this colony of living things. Our bodies, these repositories of evolutionary knowledge passed down who knows how, with instincts, some of which save us and some of which may be our undoing as a human race. There's so much of us in this fleshy inheritance that is astoundingly brilliant and unfathomable. The known and the yet to be unpacked. Anyway, I've given you just a glimpse of some of what I learned about all that on this Sunday when we stand on the cusp of this particular weekend in our shared lives. I know this Thanksgiving holiday, this particular one is a complicated one for Families not being able to gather as we'd like to or are used to with our chosen family of friends, the same thing. And I know that we are all going to be making hard decisions as a way to protect as best we can these bodies that work so hard to protect us when they can. And it seems only fair to do that and fair to mention that this choice will be hard on our hearts, the metaphorical ones, the ones that live 
or seem to sometimes right near the muscular ones. And I know this Thanksgiving holiday is hard, hard to know how to celebrate increasingly as we re-examine the origin story of it, the story of the pilgrims that's laden with half-truths and covers overt and original sin of colonialism and genocide and so much that we as a nation know we need to and want to increasingly lay bare for some real clear-eyed examination and honesty and then some kind of just accountability. So perhaps, perhaps this Thanksgiving then we can anchor ourselves in this time as the time of harvest. That piece of the earth story of life in this hemisphere. And do so as people have done also through time in this season. Take stock of the harvest of life. It's been a hard year for sure, but some fundamental things remain. And to this effort, I offer up recognition of this body, yours and mine. This collection of microbes that keeps us fed and keeps us company, mostly for the better, for the cartilage that keeps our joints sliding on surfaces smoother than ice, for teeth stronger than steel, the mighty beating heart that soldiers on the brain with its mysteries of synapse and plasticity, the immune system from skin to spleen and eyes to behold and hands to touch wherever touching is allowed and mouths for singing and speaking our truths and crying out for justice or professing our love for all of it, for this body self. I know, I know that we can have complicated relationships with parts of our bodies. For our trans siblings, who are especially on our mind and hearts this weekend, but not just for them, for others too, I know, I know that your relationship with your body is one that the world has not made easier or easier to navigate to a place of at-homeness that I wish for you as I wish for us all. I know how many of us learned shame somewhere. Shame about some piece of our bodies, which I hope we know now was a very misguided teaching. Because we know, I hope, as the poet Walt Whitman said further down in the poem we read as our reading this morning when he sung of the body electric, said of all bodies, if anything is sacred, the human body is sacred. No matter who it is, it is sacred. So hope we can take all of that in, this fundamental blessing as one really big piece of the harvest of life that we all have 
literally in our arms every day we wake. The hope that we can stand in awe of these bodies with all of their miraculous workings and their mysteries yet to be unpacked. These temples in which we live, gilded with their curves and their muscles, furnished with their microbes and their beating hearts. These companions that, as Bryson would say, give us, quote, the rare and supremely agreeable condition known as life. May we know these bodies as sacred, all of them, in all their shapes and sizes and colors and struggles and differing abilities, may we know them as sacred and may the world know us all as sacred. And may we hold one another too with the deep caring of knowing the mystery and the miracle that connects us all. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Blessings. And amen. Let it be a dance we do. May I have this dance with you. With the good times and the bad times too. Let it be a dance. Let a dancing song be heard. Play the music, say the words. And fill the sky with sailing birds. Let it be a dance. Let it be a dance. Let it be a dance. Learn to follow, learn to lead. Feel the rhythm, feel the need. To reap the harvest, plant the seed. this dance with you, through the good times and the bad times too, let it be a dance, everybody turn and spin, let your body learn to bend, and like the willow with the wind, let it be a dance, let it be a dance, let it be a dance. Child is born, the old must die. A time for joy, a time to cry. And take it as it passes by. Let it be a dance. Let it be a dance we do. May I have this dance with you. Through the good times and the bad times too. Let it be a dance. Morning star comes out at night Without the dark there is no light If nothing's wrong then nothing's right Let it be a dance Let it be a dance Let it be a dance Let the sunshine, let it rain Share the laughter, bear the pain And round and round we go again Oh
And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us out from within us. Be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.